Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hello and welcome to The Nine Line Podcast, VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System's resource for veterans covering local and national VA information. My name is John Archiquette, and I'm a public affairs specialist at the North Las Vegas VA Medical Center. Joining me is my co-host, Joshua Gray. Hi, John. How you doing? Doing well. And, of course, we've got Chief of Public Affairs, Chuck Ramey. Hi, John. And special guest today, we have joining us Executive Director of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System, Mr. Bill Karen. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. So, great to be with you here today. This is the first podcast that we're doing here as part of uh, the Nine Line podcast. Always an exciting time to have the first episode of a podcast, right? Isn't it? Yeah, it's great. So, I'd like to say that, you know, I it came up with the idea for the uh, the Nine Line, but uh, that was actually the brainchild of uh, Mr. Charles Ramey. Chuck, what, what, uh, what inspired the name? So, uh, as we have been doing here at the VA Southern Nevada uh, Healthcare System the past few years, we've been trying to find ways to communicate better with our veterans. And uh, when you and Josh came on board, you approached us with doing a podcast, and I thought that was a great idea. So, I, I know we struggled with the name. What can we call this? So, we came up with the Nine Line. And the Nine Line is that people don't understand that. Uh, people who are uh, uh, in the military will probably understand when you're out in the battlefield of Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, if you need to get a medevac, uh, they there's a request in there that every member who is taught that goes on a battlefield is taught to do is called a nine line request. And what that is, is that's a quick form of communication that is standardized to get a helicopter um, to an injured soldier, sailor, airman, marine on the battlefield. So we felt like the nine line would be appropriate for our healthcare system because it's rapid communication and it also uh, talks about providing healthcare and services, which we, we do here for veterans. And we are rich in combat search and rescue history here in Southern Nevada as our neighbors at Nellis Air Force Base have that mission as well. So we felt like it would be the appropriate name for the podcast. And that, that that was the challenge, right? We had to come up with something that was both Nevada focused, military veteran focused, and then also healthcare. And man, we had some stinkers for that yeah. game. They were not good. So thank you for coming up and saving us for our, from ourselves. That was well, it was a, it was a team effort. So I, I appreciate it, and uh, I know that uh, that was just a name. But uh, obviously now there's a standard to live up to, and I know that you guys will carry this uh, podcast and, and do great things with it. So I'm real excited about what we're doing here. And, you know, the, the nine line fit really well because the four of us not only are we all employees here at the VA, but we are all veterans ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, myself, I was a 10-year uh, veteran of the U.S. Air Force. I worked in public affairs and broadcasting, and uh, I'm also a Afghanistan war veteran, so OEF. Um, so I'm you know, from, very familiar with the nine line as well. Uh, Josh, you also serve? Yep, a uh, 20-year Air Force veteran, so I, I did what you did times two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, also worked, uh, came in uh, radio and television broadcasting, did American Forces Network stuff for uh, uh, a bit of time, and then ended up doing a bunch of public affairs stuff. Um, I go back way farther than you do, of course. So, uh, you know, I was uh, part of one of the first, uh, first full pushes of Air Force troops in, into Iraq. Um, after the OIF. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, we got a, a rich broadcasting experience here. <laughs> so, Chuck, I know you also uh, were a retired U.S. Air Force veteran. Of 
Of course, yes, I did uh, 20 years, five months, 13 days in uniform. But who's counting? But who's <laughs> counting? And uh, during that time, uh, I after I retired from the Air Force, I spent about uh, close to eight years as an Air Force civilian as well. So my career has been a mix of public affairs uh, the, for the, most of the time. Um, and about 14 years of my Air Force career was actually here in Southern Nevada at uh, at Nellis Air Force Base. I did four years uh, at the Air Force Thunderbirds as their media relations NCO. And then I did close to six years at the uh, Warfare Center over at uh, Nellis uh, uh, as their public affairs and protocol superintendent. And then I went, came back when I retired. My first civilian job was at Nellis Air Force Base as the chief of community outreach. And then I was the deputy director of public affairs and acting director of public affairs there. And then I've also served at the Pentagon and done uh, work down at Global Strike Command. And, uh, and then I had the opportunity, uh, Mr. Karen actually was the acting director back then, to come back to Las Vegas. They had this job opening up to expand the public affairs mission here. So, um, But the great thing about Nellis and uh, that is like, your relationships, your camaraderie, and that. And Josh and I have actually known each other. Josh was also a Thunderbird alum as well. And uh, we actually uh, you know, have that camaraderie out there at the military. So I think this is a really great, and hopefully we'll build the esprit de corps here in Southern Nevada among our with this event. Well, not to make it sound like we're all Air Force here, um, <laughs> Mr. Karen brings brings some uh, some other flavor to the table. So, Mr. Karen, you also serve in the Navy as well, correct? Yeah, I'm a, I'm one of those hybrid type people. I mean, you've all all three of you have wonderful uh, public affairs background. I'm a I'm a healthcare guy. I've just I've always been fascinated by the uh, anatomical, biological sciences um, all the way back, particularly in high school. So my my first love was in the clinical world as a physical therapist, and while in physical therapy school, I joined the uh, Naval Reserves um, as a corpsman. So um, that gave me a great uh, first exposure to the military, and it was an active reservist. And when I completed physical therapy uh, schooling and licensure, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do, um, but I was compelled to continue to serve. So I went on active duty, but I switched, I switched teams, went to the Air Force uh, to join all you fine fellows. Uh, so it's like so. half an Air Force? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> we got, we got yeah. three and a half Air Force here at the yeah. show. Give or take, yeah. <laughs> so I spent a, spent a few years uh, on active duty out at Barksdale Air Force Base uh, with, the, with the medical group out there. And uh, my son was born uh, actually on a military base, uh, as was I, as my dad's a Vietnam era veteran. And I was born on the Aberdeen Proving Grounds. Uh, he was in the Army. So I've been uh, I've been in healthcare my entire life. After my time in the military, I went into private sector uh, medicine. Spent quite a quite a few years, 13, 14 years there. I really did miss serving, and certainly was uh, far too old to go back into the military at that point in time. So VA, uh, I felt uh, an opportunity um, to, if I could be drawn into VA and continue to serve veterans, uh, that would be just tremendous. So I've been blessed. I spent the last 10 years of my career in VA. Uh, bounced around a few different facilities, and as uh, as Chuck mentioned, was the acting director here, associate director here, uh, served as a medical center director in Tucson for uh, a little over two years, and then was uh, was blessed to be able to come back here. So, what was it about here that wanted that, that made you want to come back? You know, Vegas uh, is always fascinating to me. I had an aunt and uncle that lived out here for years. Uh, we traveled out here, vacationed out here before, and uh, when I first came into VA, it was going back 10 years, I remember doing a training session, I uh, had to come out here as a new associate director, um, and I, I was shocked as, as my wife, uh, we were out at the Green Valley area, and I remember her saying, huh, never thought I'd consider living out in Las Vegas, but I kind of like it out here, and she, we'd lived in Phoenix for some time as well, so 
I had that in the back of my mind, thinking, yeah, that's not a bad place to be. And uh, we spent um, several years in Michigan in the cold, and I grew up in Maine. So uh, when my son graduated from high school, it's like, boy, let's go to this cool place in Las Vegas. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, Las Vegas is unlike any other city, you know. And to have a medical center that was newly activated because we were in a joint relationship with uh, the Michael Callahan at the time uh, for many, many years. So to, to see this brand new medical center be a part of its activation was a tremendous opportunity for me. And I, and I love the idea of, of uh, standing up this healthcare system. So we got to do that for a few years and then uh, went and got some great experience in Tucson, which is a very well-established VA medical center, uh, 90 plus years old there. Uh, so again, to be able to, to, to circle back here and be a part of uh, really developing this healthcare system further as we're a growing community was just, uh, was just a, a blessing for me to come back. Well, it's great to have you here and we, you know, we're appreciative of all the experience that you're bringing back to Las Vegas with you. Um, so enough about us. One of the biggest things we want to get into in this podcast is talking about the, the pressing information, both local and nationally, and of course, I think the thing on everyone's minds within the last three or four months has been uh, the spread of COVID-19. And uh, here in Las Vegas, I think, you know, just like everywhere else in the country, that's, that's our, you know, our top concern is keeping our veterans safe. But uh, we've had the opportunity to be one of the, the first sites in the country to kind of begin the expansion of face-to-face -face services again. Um, you know, what services are now open face-to-face? -face? So we were... We had the first uh, COVID positive patient in the state, so we got an, a bit of an early uh, jump and, and taste of COVID, for lack of a better term. Fortunately, because uh, both all of us who've been in the military and then working in VA, we have a strong uh, emergency management program, incident command structure, so we were able to flip the switch and move into a contingency mode quite quickly and, and very, very rapidly. Uh, and we've got some, some tremendous subject matter experts, providers here, uh, and we worked through that process. So we, we with the rest of the Valley, worked on, uh, we kind of surged forward and um, we managed this, uh, that first wave, I'll call it. And then uh, because of that experience and the, and the fine work that all of our staff did here, we were selected as one of the pilot sites uh, to ramp up, kind of re-ramp up uh, services that we, uh, we had slowed down uh, we never closed, obviously, um, but we slowed them down, and then we, we had transitioned to a lot of uh, virtual care. So now we're ramping up the face-to-face uh, -face care. So we're seeing a lot of increases across the country. Um, it seemed like it was a little bit more localized within the Northeast during the you know March and April months, and it seems to have you know spread across the country. Our you know thankfully Nevada seems like it's not quite as, as bad as some of our neighbors in Arizona and California, but we're still seeing a, a quite an increase locally. Uh, and, and as the number of cases increase, you know, how is VA Southern Nevada healthcare system going to maintain staying open for business? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, some of the confusion that comes out there is that we talk about the number of cases um, and number of cases is proportionate to the volume of testing that you're due. That you're, that you're performing. So what we watch very closely in tandem with the Nevada Hospital Association is actually the, the number of hospitalizations, the intensive care unit utilization, ventilator utilization, some of those metrics that would demonstrate to us how are we doing in terms of capacity for the healthcare systems in the Valley as well as here in VA. So those are the things we monitor very closely. Um, so we have seen a, a resurgence of um, of hospitalizations and ICU utilization uh, to the point where the governor had talked about uh, 
implementing a universal masking protocol in public places. Uh, and, and that is, if you look at the trend lines, that is because the volume of hospitalizations and that trend has gone up. Fortunately, we're still stable. We're in that 75 to 80% range. But when you do see that uptick, that does mean that we have to take steps uh, to manage that. Is hospitalizations the kind of the metric to look at as, as more stuff opens up and the younger crowds who don't seem to be as affected as much kind of get more exposure to this? Correct. Um, we, we've seen lately from some of the numbers that, that I've seen um, that, that the ages are starting to skew a lot younger. Correct. Um, so, so as the people who are more kind of resistant to hospitalization, for lack of a better term, start getting more and more exposure, is, is that hospitalization, is that still a, a good metric to use? I think so. That's a, that's a critical, uh, critical measure because we never want to, we, we want our supply to be able to keep up with the demand and the hospitalization and the acutely ill uh, individuals, that's who we want to be able to take care of. So we don't want to overwhelm the system as we saw uh, historically, uh, you know, New York is a great example. They they went through some significant challenges. So you want to stay ahead of these things. And, and I don't ask the question to kind of to, to kind of question you, but sure. what I've seen a lot on social media and in my Facebook feed is people are like, "This is getting bad," and then somebody will post a, the graph of hospitalizations going down right. as if, well, no, it's not. Yeah. You know, and, and and people aren't really seeming to be taking this very seriously at this point right now. Right. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, I would, I would agree with you, Josh. I think that that's the thing we all look at is that we see all these different metrics out there, and uh, you know, if you look at raw cases per day, like Mr. Karen said, you know, we're testing more people now, so you're going to see more cases like that. Um, but in addition to the hospitalizations, I know the other thing that our healthcare professionals have been looking at is the percentage of positive tests too. That's kind of kind of gives you that line as well. So that's another thing to look at. The thing that's different about Nevada than um, is the other states that we were talking about, New York, New Jersey, those places is we're 48th for healthcare for physicians per capita, 47th for, or excuse me, 47th for physicians, 48th for nurses, 50th for behavioral health specialists. So we, if we get hit with a big COVID influx, we are going to be more resource constrained than some of those other places. And then that's when the fourth mission which VA does activates and they're going to put it's going to put a lot more strain on the VA healthcare system to jump in as part of a national response with the health and human services to do that so it's very important to, to keep an eye on those numbers but um, we're really hoping that the public especially veterans because our, our veterans population we have a lot our highest population is Vietnam veterans um, and a lot of those people are in that prime candidate where if they do get COVID-19 they could uh, possibly uh, be hospitalized so um, it's, it's important to keep an eye on those numbers and important for people to follow those protocols. Before you were talking about the uh, expansion of the mixed modalities of providing care, uh, we're seeing a lot more virtual care. Uh, why have our serv services been so successful in shifting to virtual care services? Well, VA has been on the on the forefront of telemedicine for years, um, and, and we have incrementally been phasing in more and more virtual care, and particularly for VA when we have our veterans spread across you know, multiple areas, the rural areas in particular. Um, you look at uh, Prump, Laughlin, uh, some of those uh, areas uh, up here, uh, Mesquite and all those areas. When, when, we're, when you're provider deficient on a population basis in the, the largest city in Nevada, you can imagine in those rural areas how challenging that is. So then that's not just unique to Nevada. So that virtual care has been on the, on the forefront for VA for several years. So this accelerated that movement. It really took a concerted effort 
the office information technology uh, stepped up to the plate. You know, uh, as the secretary and undersecretary said, we have to get we got to get more virtual care out there so we don't stop providing care for our veterans. Uh, we knew we had to limit some traffic, foot traffic, within the facilities, uh, particularly when the first wave uh, hit and we were able to shift to uh, telephone care and VA virtual care very, very rapidly. So we're very fortunate in that respect. Yeah, just our figures within the Vizin, um, it looks like, especially in areas of uh, telemental health, it looks like that we were leading yes. by, by quite a large margin, right, right. number of cases. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, come back, and we'll talk some more about COVID-19. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. Question, what will you find on all over-the-counter or OTC medicine packages to help you choose the right drug and use it safely? The answer, the drug facts label. This label lists the medicine's active ingredients and purpose, how much to take, and warnings you should know before using it. Remember, even OTC medicines you buy without a prescription can cause side effects you don't want. So follow the information listed on the drug facts label. For more information, visit fda.gov slash drug facts label. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. I didn't want to talk. She just sat with me. That was all I really needed. We got back. One day he called me out of the blue. And it's comforting to know that I always can count on him to have my back. She called me from time to time. I really didn't think I needed any help. It took me from being really depressed to feeling like somebody cared to give me some hope. Just that one text. Be there. Your call. Your presence. Your words. Your support. Be there and help save a life. Learn more about preventing suicide at VeteransCrisisLine.net. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome back. You're listening to The Nine Line Podcast here, the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System's resource for veterans covering local and national VA information. I'm John Archiquette, Public Affairs Specialist and host here, and joining me I've got Joshua Gray, our co-host, and we have Chuck Ramey, Chief of Public Affairs and Executive Director Mr. Bill Karen. So going back into our conversation about COVID-19, um, you know, what are some of the lessons that we've learned through the first three months of the pandemic? Uh, it's a great question. We're uh, consistently, by utilizing the incident command structure, we're consistently doing what we call after actions and hot washes and, and revisiting on a daily basis um, any opportunities um, to evolve and, and to improve. One of the things I notice is when you split off, uh, when you have an incident command structure and you also have your normal governance structures, committees, councils, those types of things, our stand-ups, our huddles, uh, safety briefings, much like we did back in the military, um, you got two lanes going simultaneously. And we did find that that created a little bit of confusion. So for quite a time, we turned off the uh, daily stand-up huddle formats and then went straight into incident command mode, which gave everyone an opportunity to stakeholders to be engaged and involved. Uh, then we blended the two back together, and now we've moved back into huddle formats. And what we found is that 
that period of time where we had the two lanes going, it did create some confusion. So communication became very, very imperative. Uh, so we kind of reeled that back in. That was a lesson learned. I, I don't think you can ever overstate the communication value. Um, there are so many stakeholders when you consider 3,000 employees that have their own concerns, issues, uh, things that they're dealing with on the home front as well as coming here and serving our veterans, um, whether they're working virtually or here on site, and then 65 plus thousand veterans wanting to know how am I going to get my care, will I get my care, um, getting those comms out. So. A testament to, to your group, the public affairs, communications folks, uh, VA-wide and here locally, uh, we put out messaging daily, every single day, uh, and then we had instant command structure and, the, uh, and that feedback from those groups every single day, stakeholders every single day, infectious disease, our physicians, and then in the evenings as shifts would turn over, we'd get a briefing from them. On the weekends, we did the same thing. It was constant, constant communication as the... Uh, as the COVID crisis evolved. So looking back, we've got a little bit more normal rhythm now. Um, uh, however, that you just cannot take your foot off the gas when it comes to communication. So those are a few of the things that, uh, that we learned along the way. Yeah, and we, speaking of communication, we've, you know, we've tried to conduct uh, you know, a new normal form of business. We uh, just actually had our, our first virtual town hall right. this week, and we had you know, quite a few veterans that uh, joined us and asked questions. So uh, we thank you, you know, all the veterans who participated in that with us. Um, and one of the questions that we get quite a bit um, posed to us is about some of the face-to-face -face services that really can't be replicated through virtual care. Um, you know, questions about labs and imaging and uh, our, our clinical care services. Sure. And John, yeah, we had to shut down a lot of those things uh, in person at the beginning of that and kind of go into a phased approach. Um, as Mr. Karen said, we did not uh, discontinue those services. We just provided them in a different way. And one of those things that was critical that we provide in our community clinics, uh, as well as here at the medical center, is our lab and imaging services. Um, we had to postpone those services at our labs, uh, or excuse me, not our labs, our lab and imaging services at our, our community clinics in the beginning, just kind of as we were dealing with uh, COVID-19 and brought those services here to the, the main medical center or expanded the hours and um, services here. But what we've been able to do as part of our new normal or is, is go back and reopen some of those services in our Las Vegas uh, community clinics. So now we do have a lab services which are open from 7.30 to 3, Monday through Friday. And then we have general x-ray imaging services, which are open from 8 to 4, Monday through Friday. So our veterans can get those services now in the community with the lab. So uh, they're, you know, they are walk-in right now, but we appointments are preferred. And they are also asking that if you're, you don't have a fasting need for a lab, let's say you know, that you come in the afternoon when it's a little lighter traffic. Um, but the appointment people will have kind of priority with that. But uh, they are, those are some of the things that we have to look at as we're going through there. And our primary care clinics have been kind of redesigned to, to take a lighter load at this time. So uh, we, we, we're kind of going through that. Our pharmacy hours have changed a little bit too. They used to be open till 8 p.m. at night. Now they're open till 6.30. So we kind of are going through all those different services and we're adjusting them as needed to uh, meet the veterans' needs, but also uh, meet the COVID uh, response as well. And of course, if you're wondering about the, the hours available for a lot of these clinics and the changes, uh, our website has all of those posted. Uh, you, can, you can check to see what the latest updates on our healthcare system is and uh, make sure that you, you know when the best time to show up. 
You bet. There's uh, two things. One, you can go to www.lasvegas.va.gov. And at the top of that right now, there's an alert. It's like a dark brown alert. You click on that, and that'll give you all of our current operating information. And it'll also tell you how to get some of those services virtually that you were used to coming um, here to the facility before. It might be veterans benefits. It might be enrollment, those types of things. How you can get access to those services without having to come to our facilities is there as well. So one of the things that I've, you know, one of the things that's kind of the linchpin of, of, of allowing more people in here is is masking. Um, making sure that we're providing a safe environment for everybody that's coming into the building. Uh, but masking appears to be a, kind of a touchy point for, for folks. Um, you know, just, just today we've had a, a statewide order go in that's uh, mandatory masking in public everywhere, wh whether it's outside or inside. Um, but I've kind of noticed personally over the past week, week and a half, that as more folks have started coming in, you see a lot more folks that are trying to skirt those rules yeah. when, they're, when they're inside here. So uh, what are we doing to kind of ensure uh, and enforce uh, th those masking rules? Sure. The, the diligence to universal masking, um, the evidence keeps coming back to that. And if you look at the countries that have had a consistent downward trajectory, they really committed to that. Uh, and it takes a few weeks to see the effects. So. Uh, I, I applaud what the what the governor ha, has done based on some of the statistics and the hospitalizations we talked about uh, earlier that's going up and I think uh, putting that into place makes makes perfect sense. We've implemented uh, universal masking and uh, screening, temperature taking those things from literally from the first weeks of COVID because that's where the evidence was pointing at the time. So we've held that line. We've held uh, both staff accountable and, uh, and veterans as well. The screeners, the, the VA police, um, as we are able to bring back some volunteers and then the staff in general as we're out and about within the healthcare system and in the facility we're reminding people if we see uh, the mask dropping below their nose or those kinds of things and doing it in a, in a polite tactful way so that they understand how critical it is that the physical distancing we've seen uh, we've, we've moved a lot of furniture around we've put signs on the floor placards to keep people distance universal masking we mentioned uh, it's that attention to uh, continuous education but at the end of the day the compliance is required um, we just cannot risk uh, the, the, the multitude of staff and our other veterans that have uh, maybe uh, underlying health conditions we have to keep people masked and, and at the end of the day unlike some of the other hospitals in the area like like this hospital is full of the most vulnerable people yeah there's um, I mean obviously uh, the older adults are in, in some of the community hospitals as well but um, veterans as you can see do tend to have a more underlying health conditions um, and other comorbidities so it is critical we have to take care of one another so we've done a lot of that through universal masking but um, as dr. Jason Daisley and uh, dr. Myron Kung who are two of our uh, experts on the topic have talked about you know masking is a big part of it but social or physical distancing is you know one of the other other biggest things and if you walk around the, the VA Medical Center here, you see a, a lot of physical changes of, you know, layout of the actual waiting areas. Right. Um, did a lot of thought go into that to, to try to, you know, maximize efficiency yet maintain that, that social distance? Right. Yeah, we, uh, we're fortunate. We have an interior designer on staff. Uh, we have a, a large environmental management system and those services are engineering infrastructure folks all working together with the services and the stakeholders literally walking through and simulating what the new face-to-face -face care would look at would look like and then adjusting our furniture in in that respect and we we're fortunate because we have space relatively modern infrastructure as we mentioned we're a relatively new healthcare system our community-based clinics have large 
uh, greeting and vestibular areas and waiting areas uh, versus uh, many of the other private uh, physician offices. I was actually in one the other day. The, the whole waiting room was 100 square feet. You know, when you have eight people in there, um, that's challenging mm -hmm. uh, to try and keep everyone safe. We're not running into that problem here. We've, we've gone to great lengths to make sure we can maintain that physical distancing. Right. It's pretty amazing. It's like uh, they, they've taken that to the, the nth level where, you know, they actually have a flow of how to bring a patient through into the areas, right. into the waiting room and bring them out. There's a whole directional flow clinic by clinic. They've done that. So it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And if I can non-COVID tangent real quick, you mentioned the interior designer. We just opened the new uh, information desk uh, downstairs. Yes. Man, that looks slick. That's <laughs> nice. That's really nice. Yeah. Very modern. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, we're constantly trying to enhance and, and improve. Nobody anticipated, um, you know, the growth we saw that we've seen in Las Vegas population as well as the uh, number of veterans. So we've been climbing at a pretty significant upward trajectory for a while. So you will continue to see those infrastructure changes and improvements so we can continue to expand care. So a couple quick notes before we uh, sign off for today. Uh, first of all, today, the day of recording at least, uh, June 25th, is the 70th anniversary of the beginning of the Korean War. So we know we have a, a few wonderful Korean War veterans that are still with us, and uh, we first thank you for your service, and we're uh, we're proud to be able to serve you here. And also, uh, in two weeks, we're going to have the next airing of the second episode of the Nine Line Podcast, and we have a uh, two special guests joining us for that as well. We've got Dr. Jason Daisley and Dr. Myron Kung, who we mentioned earlier, who are our resident experts on the topic of, uh, of COVID-19 have really done some remarkable things of, uh, of helping us to, you know, to stay, stay ahead in this fight. So, gentlemen, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to having you. And thank you, veterans out there, for listening. We hope to uh, hear from you on our uh, social media outlets. We've got our Twitter handle is at, Las Vegas, at VA Las Vegas and Instagram as well. And we also have a Facebook page. So if you have any uh, questions you want to ask us to have... Uh, our panel of experts here address on our podcast. Make sure you hit us up on either of those platforms or else we also have a email address. It's V-H-A-L-A-S-P-A-O at VA.gov. Thank you very much and have a great day. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Las Vegas VA. Thanks for listening.